0: I don't believe in no one's
1: scenarios Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay I
2: don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show Where we will be talking about top R&D job positions. Now, as a PhD listening to this, you may or may not realize that you have extensive research experience. That's the R in R&D, but not a lot of development experience, probably not any. You haven't developed a product based on your research, worked in distribution or commercialization, manufacturing, you haven't taken anything to market or supported a product in market. That's a big part of research and development uh, in industry. And we're going to bring on somebody today with Experience working at Genetech, if you are a PhD who wants to get into r and d, you've likely heard of Genetech. He's going to talk about his experiences in r and d and industry, what's different, How you need to prepare yourself to think like a manager of r and d experiments and a manager of people and a manager of robotics if you want to work in r and d. and what kind of questions you'll be asked, some of the mistakes he made when interviewing. He missed out on some top jobs at big companies uh, because he, his approach was incorrect. So what do you need to take into account to get hired into R&D? We're going to talk to Elliot Brecht today, PhD, and former scientist at Genetech. Let's jump into today's radio show now. And what we're going to do now is bring on a panel of PhDs who have sat where you are but have transitioned successfully uh, into R&D in this case. And we have on with us Robbie. Good to see you, Robbie. Been a while? Yeah. Not too long though. Yeah, Veronica, has not been very long at all. Good to see you. You might be on mute there. And then Rupsa. Hi, Rupsa. Good to see you. Good
2: to see you too.
1: Thanks for being here. Yeah. We're well, very excited to have all of you on. I really appreciate your time. Um, so I want to talk about those challenges and how you overcame them to get hired, but first I thought I'd ask you all to introduce yourself and the position and company you're with now. And let's start with you. I'll go clockwise in this case. Let's start with you, Veronica.
3: Uh, hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. So okay. Uh, so I'm. I just started a new position at FenoVista uh, Bioscience. We do uh, phenotypic drug screening. We are a CRO. So my job title is Scientist 3 which means senior scientist. Generally, I basically. Uh, so my current, uh, in my current position, uh, I, uh, I have part of bench work, but also part of my job is um, project management and client management, uh, writing the report uh, and staying in touch with the client, as well as also mentoring the research associate and training them.
1: Perfect. Well, thank so, you for being here. Uh, Robbie, same question to you. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um,
0: my name is Robbie Hobbley, uh PhD in chemical engineering and currently working for the chemical company BASF. And I'm in their PhD leadership development program. So it's a rotational program on, on different projects. And I just started my second project, um, which is in kind of product launching and product development for a new asphalt modifier. Um, so I, w- I work really closely with both the commercial side and how to market and how do we sell this and who's our customer. But also in my comfort zone, the, the research and technical side, which is working with the scientists and kind of developing, finding the value in the product and what's the chemistry that's going on. Hmm. Um, so learning a lot and as well as kind of in my comfort zone with the, the research and
1: technical side, really exciting. Thank you, Robbie. And congratulations on, on your success as well. And Rupsa, thanks for waiting. Same question to you. Hi.
2: Hi. Uh, so yeah, I am a research scientist in a small startup company. It's Technovax. Uh, uh, it's basically based on the same field what I did in my PhD, that is making uh, virus-like particle-based vaccines. So I have been responsible for uh, designing to manufacturing of the whole Vaccine processes. So that is my main job. So I usually work in the bench, but that doesn't mean that I'm only doing research. I'm also responsible for managing budget, writing grants, and then talking, dealing with the clients, bringing in more funding to the company, and all of that.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you. And I I think, you know, all of you have different backgrounds, uh, both culturally in terms of your PhD experiences, of course. uh, no industry experience prior to your, your first transition, of course. Um, and uh, I guess the question I want to ask all of you is what were the challenges that you had? A lot of our, our challenges, of course, are always individual and personal, but there are some themes, some patterns that we experience as PhDs, I think. So if you can think back to what maybe the most challenging moment was for you in your job search where you were stuck, even if you talked about it before, because a lot of people are here for the very first time, and then how you overcame those challenges. Uh, to get hired into an R&D job specifically? Uh, what helped you, you know, what kind of um, new action did you have to take? How did you invest in yourself? What did you end up changing? Uh, how, did, how did a new network help you and beyond? And so, Veronica, I'll start with you. Challenges, how you overcame them to get hired for our, our attendees.
3: So, my biggest challenge is that I, I was a postdoc for a long time because I did two postdocs. Uh, First, uh, like I had an academic postdoc of three years, and then uh, I transitioned to industry postdoc for almost three, yeah, almost three years. And like my biggest challenge is that um, basically um, I, I was unable to deliver my experience properly Mm. And people were just looking at me as a postdoc or you don't, even if I was an industry postdoc, they like, mm, they they were not looking at my skills and my experience. They just were stopping at the postdoc. How mm. did I, how I overcome, that was probably my biggest challenge. Uh, how I overcome it, uh, uh, basically, first of all, opening also myself in terms of, Career opening my mind because initially it was mainly focused on poor senior bench scientist bench career, and also um, like rebranding myself uh, basically uh, because I I I understood that a lot of people sometimes don't even know what is a postdoc or what a postdoc has done, so uh, that's why I stopped even writing on my resume on my LinkedIn. I'm a postdoc, I'm a, I don't know, project manager, experience gain as a postdoc. No, I'm a project manager, period. Um, and knowing, nice. like, really knowing my brand and my my value what I can bring, for example, and just to give an example here, like my current position, uh, the main point was that I had a um, specific, like scientific background in vascular biology. That was uh, another value because, no one had it, and can be applied to different area that the company is focusing on. So mm-hmm. this kind of specific point, like highlighting these unique things that I, I had it, and perhaps other didn't have it. So that was a big selling point. And uh, and yeah, and the others also. The other point was uh, uh, really uh, like upscaling my informational interview and network in the sense that until for an year, I was doing like one, two informational interview and I was getting interview and things like that. But at a certain point I realized, okay, I need to do, I went from one to like a week or even less, or probably uh, like um, I went to one to a day at a certain point. Mm. Because I say, all right, I need to really boost yes. my network because, um, and this is something I realized, people say until you don't have around 100 people on the network on your network that you re- regularly talk, that's like a big threshold. You'll see the difference in terms of uh, job referral.
1: Yeah, Veronica, thank you so much. No, I really appreciate it. And I know there's a lot of other things you, you could share, but I want to recap what you've said so far because there's a lot of... Uh, Gold nuggets there. Um, First of all, a lot of you must realize you're being how you're being seen. You're being seen as just an academic researcher. Nobody is seeing you as an industry professional yet. They're not seeing you as somebody who's in ready for R&D, for example. Um, You're not speaking the right language. You're not promoting yourself in the right way or talking about your skill sets in the right way. Just like Veronica said. Um, you also are not having enough conversations with people who speak that language to even know how to speak that language for informational interviews, networking, etc. A lot of you don't even have a network to interact with. That's what is going to hold you back. And then once you make these shifts, though, on the positive side, you will be seen differently. Uh, once you know the, you know, the nomenclature of R&D versus just academic research, that uh, by itself will, will have a big impact. So Veronica, thank you very much. We got to hear more from you later. Uh, Robbie, same question to you. So th- those challenges that you were facing, and then how you overcame them to get hired, specifically into R and D. Yeah, um, I'd
0: say my biggest challenge uh, was was just graduating at first. Um, I was I was stuck in a research lab, um, was doing research, had had promising data, and and everything like that. But we were still not reaching our, our grant requirements, and so. My advisor and I had a, you know a conflict of interest. My advisor had obligations to the grant that needed to be completed, and I had five years worth of great data and great interpretation and um, and ready to write my dissertation. But my advisor um, it admitted and, and, and purposefully was withholding my graduation to complete their grant and wanted me to mentor undergrads and things like that and I went through some some pretty heavy mental challenges then because once once we had some conflicts. Then things started to become personal and it and um, was getting attacked, Um, you know, a lot of pointing out of my flaws and everything. And so The first thing I had to just overcome was that I was capable and and able to to get an industry position. Um, And and I'd say that what started that turning point was in the r and ds modules and everything you always end them with saying, remember your value as a PhD. And, and and honestly, I was such at the bare bottom that I just had to remind myself of that, that I just didn't know the value that my PhD had brought me. And, and very similar to what Veronica said was I was I was blinded or absent or had the blinders on. I, I didn't know what skills I had. Um, and, and really, it was going through these modules and, and, and start seeing the, the value and the skills that I had. And then you, you kind of take that a next step and you start talking. You talked about how do you speak the language? How do you... Put it on a LinkedIn profile? How do you put it on a resume so that industry people can see that you're a project manager and you've got these research skills and everything? Um, and, th- and then everything kind of just starts to snowball. As, as Veronica said, you know, I had my first informational interview and I started talking and, um, you know, one of the things I was just reflecting on before this call too is, you know, one of the biggest skills that PhD has a PhD has is you're a quick learner and i am surprising myself every day on how quickly i'm picking up things i really underestimated that value Mm -hmm. um and and so i would say that that was the biggest challenge was just understanding the skills and the value that i had and then taking the next step and marketing those and 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 gathering informational interviews And, and really once you get over that step um in the in the in the position i'm in in the rotational program and leadership development program I mean, once you cross that line, it just skyrockets for you. I mean, industries start to see what those values and the skills that PhDs have. Um, And so that's where Cheeky Scientist really helps overcome that challenge and and really push you to the next step.
1: Yeah, thank you, Robbie. And and for those of you that are graduate students and you might be accepting less for yourself, thinking that, well, you got to walk on eggshells around your PI or you don't deserve to graduate or you got to work for free, which a lot of us have done, don't do that you get you deserve to have your pi and everybody uh encourage your success. They can't hold back your success in the real world for your career. That's something that a lot of us have trained on and taught on to help you because if you position it that way, you can get the administrative bodies to to support you. And, and you know, you, their goal is to make you move forward in your careers. That's a separate topic, but just know you're not alone. And then realize that you know, you are very valuable. Uh, you, you might be invisible to employers, but you're very valuable. And the skills that are going to get the attention of employers are not these complex technical skills that, you know, only have words that we use in academia. Certain techniques are, are described with one, you know, nomenclature in academia, but different in R&D anyway. So focus on the broader transferable skills, the ability, your ability to do research and analysis. Realize that hiring managers, recruiters don't have PhDs. In 99% plus of the cases, no PhD, right? So they don't understand what you're talking about, but your ability to process information quickly, comprehension, your work ethic, uh, the, you know, the volume of work that you can do, again, research, analysis, resource management, these are the skills to, to really focus on, especially for R&D jobs. So uh, Robbie, very inspiring story. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Isaiah, always a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Roopsa, same question to you. Thanks for waiting. Do you want me to repeat it?
2: No, that's fine. So um, the thing is, you know, Isaiah, like I have been pretty much desperate after my PhD and I was like, you know, not getting a job. And then I, I, I always had this dilemma that whether I had to do a postdoc because that was the trend, uh, that after doing a PhD, if you're not doing a postdoc, you cannot get a job. And that's such a big lie. That's such a fat lie, <laughs> I mean, I would say. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I, I could have, uh, even I would have believed that unless I joined Cheeky Scientist, right? I mean, before Cheeky Scientist, I always believed, okay, I need to do maybe 10 or 11 years of postdoc and then only I can get a scientist position in industry. And that's such a big lie. I mean, right after my PhD, when I defended, the next day I started my new position in my industry. So yeah, I mean, wow. it was just a matter of two days. Yeah, after my defense. And it was all possible because right when I was writing my dissertation, I started networking, I started, you know, revamping my resume. That is the most important thing. Like I would encourage all the PhD holders here to stop applying with your CVs, you know, like 15, 20 pages of CVs. And then you keep on uploading it in the cold application that goes nowhere. You get an automated rejection every time. Mm-hmm. So Cheeky Scientist, uh, once I joined, then I got to know that two page resume, it's more than enough for you. I mean, you can literally put everything in that and much more in that. And then uh, you know, using transferable skills, all these kind of terms, never knew what are transferable skills. I never knew about it when I was in my PhD because my PI never bothered to tell me that. Mm. So these are the things which were the major challenges. And I kind of overcame that only because of Cheeky. So thank you, Isaiah, for creating this organization.
1: Well, Thank you, Rupsa, and congratulations on your success in R&D, and I think a a couple of the points that you mentioned that are important, and that was really a theme from all of our panelists, is that you are really valuable. You just have to speak about your value in a different way. You got to become visible. Uh, You got to follow a sequence to get hired. You got to see the gaps in your knowledge. You want to get into R&D, you know, development is a big gap for all of you. Um, The transferable skills that are going to show an employer that you can not only do research, but also development that speaking that language is going to be foreign to you. It might seem simplistic. You know, we got trained on using bigger words, you know, using the word moreover or furthermore even, right. But we want to, you got to simplify, you got to talk about the stuff that you you can do that others cannot do research, analysis, information processing, on and on. And and then you got to figure out the right R and D position for you. Once you have a target, you can be much more successful. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, how driven you are. You can't hit a target you don't set. Uh, and even if that targets a job title, it will help you. So thank you to all of our panelists, and, and I do appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so with that, we're going to dig into the uh, more didactic content, the slides. Uh, if you just joined, 11 research scientists and project management careers, for PhDs is what we're going to talk about. And we're bringing on the senior program leader for the R&D Society, former Genentech researcher Elliot Brecht. We're going to bring him on now, and I'm going to talk to him a little bit about what he just heard from the panel, and then we're going to jump in to today's topics. Hi, Elliot.
4: Hi, Isaiah. How are you doing?
1: Good. Good to see you. So after talking to our panelists, you know, it's, it's really helpful to hear from their point of view about how they went from being an attendee to getting hired. And a big part of it was, you know, getting access to the right information and the right network, uh, both of which are in the R&D Society. You're the program leader there. you've had had hundreds and hundreds of PhDs come in, get hired in R&D. So what, what is your advice to kick things off here? Why do they need to start learning about development, for example? Maybe look back at your own career. If you had to go back and talk to yourself before your transition, what were the gaps you had in your knowledge and the mistakes that you made?
4: Yeah, and that's a great question. And just like the panelists, I did the, the same thing, just cold applying, thinking, oh wait, I'm gonna be stuck in my postdoc for forever and ever and applying to different positions and, and actually making the way to some on sites, but then just failing miserably whilst doing them and realizing afterwards and once I joined, you know, the RDS where it was was I wasn't talking about the sort of the next step. I was going over and being like, look at all of these skills that I've gained look at everything that I've done, I can collect all this data, I know how to do, you know, this assay, and I know how to do this analysis, I know how to do this thing, and I presented on it, but then I never talked about next. I never was like, where is this going to go, what is this going to become, how is this going to develop into an actual product, and that's where getting some feedback from some of the interviews I went to, and I just, I don't know how to do that. Um, what am I supposed to do? And then the RDS really sort of helped me out of that because I was in a dark spot. I'm like, well, I I don't know what I'm going to do then. Like, am I mm-hmm. just going to have to be a postdoc for forever? And then hopefully I'll walk into a position as a PI because, you know, there's just none of those left. and Knowing other colleagues while I was in academia who had been postdocs for a decade or more. And it's like, is this going to be my life? Like, yeah. so realizing that there was this other step that I needed to talk about, that I needed to put in my presentations, that I needed to do in my, in my resume that I needed to just own that. I actually had some of this knowledge. I just didn't know how to come about expressing it to people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, and I think that pivot, right. When you're talking to an employer, interviewing, whatever about how, okay, you got research data, et cetera. How do you, use that to help the company or to create a new product, mm-hmm. et cetera. You have to be able to talk about that. And what you just heard Elliot touch on, you also heard Rupsa say, and really our entire panel, a postdoc is not going to help you even in R&D and industry. Uh, it's more likely to damage your career. There's a lot of data from nature, science and beyond. Um, you know, We have an article we like to share that has very clear graphs from, from nature biotechnology showing you that a postdoc will actually stunt your growth. So what does that mean? Don't freak out if you've if you're doing a postdoc or if you've done one, but don't keep doing one. Don't think you have to do one to be successful in industry. You don't. Don't think you have to do one to be a senior scientist or a principal scientist. You don't. And we have a lot of proof of that in the R and D society. Um, so here's the good news. We we're in a recession now. Well, that's not the good news. We're in a recession now, right? According to GDP, uh, there's a, very, a, a, a huge slowdown compared to last year in terms of hiring. There are more job candidates like you for R&D positions than there are R&D jobs. This means that getting hired through informational interviews, through having the right network, job referrals, getting inside information more important now than ever. But the good news is is that during this particular recession, there's more investment in R&D because of the trigger, right? With the the pandemic had triggered uh, this recession that Uh, Employers know, especially employers in in biotech and pharma tech, they know that research is crucial. Research is what is going to allow them to innovate and to recover from the recession. And we're just showing you here some some recent articles um, proving this. The global 500 uh, companies that that hire in R&D, companies that aren't even in like the tech or STEM or biotech, they're hiring people like you to get into key roles to analyze data, quantitative and qualitative even if they are not producing a medical instrument, they might be uh, evaluating user data or customer data to see what new products or services they need to create. You are more valuable uh, than ever before because of this. And that's uh, a theme that we're gonna touch on quite a bit. Uh, So Elliot, I wanna talk to you about this. I thought this was very interesting. So CFOs, this is the chief financial officer, of a particular company. This is a study based on CFOs from top companies around the world, and basically asking them, okay, uh, what, you, what are you anticipating in response to the pandemic and to where your company is going? And you know, on the risk side, they're anticipating decreased profit, down global economy, increased COVID cases. On the change side, in response to this, they're anticipating changing their products and services. This means more innovation. Um, spending more time strategically figuring out which changes to make also under innovation. And then decentralizing their workforce working remotely. I know, LA, you have your, you know, your ear to the ground on this, whether it's at Genetec, other companies, you're seeing these shifts. Uh, you've been able to keep people in the R&D society on top of these trends. What are you seeing, the people you talk to? What, how, how are companies in the R&D sector uh, changing in response to everything that's happened?
4: Yeah, no, that's a, a, a great question, and and yeah, this is a is an excellent graph showcasing some of these things because we are seeing people, you know, doing these, you know, working from home most more so because they're they're doing and collecting data different ways, or being able to streamline the the way people are going in and like collecting data, utilizing more, um, you know, data analytics from stuff they're collecting, um, organizing things out to do more using more robotics to collect more of this data in a, in a, in a, a different fashion. So there's not a person in, in the lab collecting these sort of things. Again, these are the positions that are being you know decreased and lost are those for people who don't have a PhD because they want the people who have the PhD to be able to take all that other data that's being collected in these new ways and then start analyzing it and come up with the predictions, how are we going to utilize it? How are we going to interact with our customer base because they're now they're also at home? So how are we going to be interacting with these people? You know, so like sort of the change and services. Is, this is where you're starting to see increases, and we'll talk about some of these positions a little bit later. But sort of like those user experiences, those people who are you know um, uh, you know utilizing the uh, the technology in different ways because you know now we're going to start doing a lot more of these. Um, uh, apps and um, uh, electronic equipment that people have on them, health tracking, uh, interacting with you know healthcare professionals in different ways. How are you going over? And then doing you know your your drug development so that people can utilize them in these ways as well. So there's not someone they're going through because you're not getting over into even the pharmacy it's going straight to people at their homes as well making sure things are easier to use for people so you're having to go through and develop a lot of these new ways of looking at these things but the people who are at home who are the scientists in sort of pharma and biotech they're still having to do a lot of this analysis as well but they're now having to like run and, and be in charge of multiple different projects multiple different areas because now you're not actually just interacting face to face with the person. You're not able to go over to you know, their desk, the water cooler and talk to them. You're having to go over and interact with people who are internationally more so. When I was a Gen Tech, we started decreasing a lot of the stuff that we were doing in house in the States here and collecting data in other countries that were not being as affected as, as badly by COVID. So we're collecting more data there. So you're having to interact with people in these other areas and how are you managing these product, these you know, the, the, the data that's being collected in many different sites around the world and then trying to come through and, and organize it in a way to then disseminate it to others in the organization as well. So everyone's just trying to figure out how to go about utilizing these new sort of interactions that we're, we're sadly happy to face.
1: Yes. Yeah. Great points and, and, and great insights. And just an example of some of the on the ground insights that will really help you Uh, in your career, but also in your job search, you need to to know how things are changing now because you will be asked. If you've never heard of the phrase, uh, you know, workforce decentralization, Uh, if you don't know how companies are restructuring, what kind of mergers, acquisitions, and things are going on in the R&D sector, uh, you're going to be in trouble. It's just going to further show an employer that you are an academic researcher. You're not ready for industry R&D. Uh, whether, uh, you know, at a principal scientist or engineer role or R&D project manager, et cetera. Um, so in your job search, and I know you made a, you know, a lot of mistakes in your job search, even down to like the type of presentation uh, you thought you had to give, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how an industry job search for an R&D position has changed and what the attendees should be focusing on now all the way through? Try to over, you know, help them break down those misconceptions, the same misconceptions you had when you started your R&D job search.
4: Yeah, no, that's a, a great thing as well because, um, you know, Rufa, it went over and she had said that she's basically doing some of the things that's an extension of her, you know, her PhD, of her dissertational work. But that's not always the norm. Like for me, completely different area that I went into. And so you've got to realize that you aren't just really pigeonholed into what your research area is. You can actually transfer all of these skills and stuff that you've done into pretty much any position or opportunity. You wanna go through and be able to realize that just you now learned how to analyze the data, take it in, into a meaningful way, manage other people so that you can go through and show them or tell them how to you know, go about the analysis and collecting the data, and then going through and actually doing the presentations to go through and, and, and disseminate it into a meaningful way by doing those poster presentations, those talks, any sort of lab meetings you've done, the sort of, you know, larger showcasing of this is what the data is, you just have to now learn about how to to talk about it in a different way. One of the bigger things also that people get stuck on from that academic mindset is wanting to go through and know everything there is about something. You get sort of stuck in there like, all right, this is my dissertation and I'm going to learn everything there is about this. You know, and you just you you you, you know like a, a dog with the bone, you just latch on and this is what you're gonna do. I'm gonna do everything there is to do on this, but you have to be able to to pivot. You have to be able to go over and say, All right, we came across an issue. This isn't gonna work. We we don't have the resources to to do more analysis in here. There's a some other department found something, it's it's not easy to make this drug. It's not, you know, the, the efficacy is not as good as we want and you just move it to the side and, and go to a new product project. You have to be able to go over and, and change your focus in a, you know, with almost no notice. I've had right. other things when I was at Gen and basically working on project, and then basically being told, well, go ahead and cancel that, you know, that analysis that, and that data collection that you already went over and asked for for the company because we, it's dead.
1: Now. And that's, yeah. And that's the biggest part I, I think of the transition you have to make and that's why they're gonna test you on development and commercialization. Cause it's not just about collecting the data and how much you've collected. And we've all seen PIs to their own demise, lock onto data or a certain grant or a theory or whatever that they just wasn't right. And not even it wasn't right, but there was no demand for it. Like the, you know that's, they couldn't get a grant for it because it wasn't gonna really matter in the real world, even if it was right or interesting. And so the same thing in R and D, that, you know, if there's not a, if people in the market don't need it, if it's not gonna help enough people, you know, it can be right all day long, but you have to have a vision, strategic vision of not just the research side, but the development, the commercialization side. And I think what'll help you understand that even more is going through some of the roles. Um, And we've broken down the roles in R&D to the research roles and the project management roles to help clarify some of these roles for all of you. And I'm just wondering how many of you here Know you wanna get into R&D, but you're not sure what job title would be best for you or which job title you can even get into. Type in me if that sounds like you. We hear that all the time. So we're gonna go through the research roles first. Um, this is how we identify roles and help you categorize them based on some characteristics. These are the top eight characteristics that uh, PhDs say they characterize or evaluate different job titles on. Um, so here we're looking at a user experience researcher information software specialist, technical development, your junior researchers versus your senior and principal researchers. Health e- economics, outcome researcher, you know, informatics could uh, be here or here depending, and then application scientist, application researcher, application specialist, etc. cetera. Now real quick, Elliot, before we dive into each of those individually, let's just look at this figure. We have a few figures like this. Academic versus industry research, right? There's things that are different but there are things that are the same. And I think this is what makes it confusing. Obviously, innovation, leadership, research, problem solving is all important. But on the industry side, we, we do see you know, more structured project management because of the larger teams, more teamwork, obviously development, uh, a focus on re- like your, your technical data has to translate into business data, increased revenue or profits, got to serve a different market, right? So keep this in mind as Elliot starts talking us through the different roles and start asking yourself, is this role right for me? The R&D Society will train you and get you into any of these roles, but you have to figure out which one is best for you. The program will help you figure that out, but it's good to start thinking about it now. So this is a new buzzword. This is like the new data scientist, right? So like user experience researcher. The word user has basically been thrown in because software is so abundant. Um, you know, Before this might've been like a consumer researcher or a market analyst, et cetera. But what does a user experience researcher do, Elliot? Yeah, this is someone
4: which I, I kind of briefly mentioned before in some of the new trends and things that we're seeing. And and as you said, this is starting to showcase more and more. And it actually was starting to increase before the global pandemic. And even and now, so it's, it's, it's skyrocketing. These are the people that are doing the interactions with, you know, when everyone, if you've gone to the doctor, you now probably have an app that you use with that. You're going through and there's some sort of, you know, interaction with your, you know, your Fitbit or your your eye watch or your your Garmin these sort of things how are you interacting with the app and the um, the device that you're wearing and the you know interaction that you have with it to make it more desirable to use you know are the buttons in a good location are the you know analytics on it something that are useful for a person you know are you getting your sleep data in there are you getting these sort of things in there that something that somebody wants and then what is something else that is going to you know, be in, increase the usership of somebody using this device over another device or interacting with your app versus another app. You know. How are these going through? And this is sort of going from that actual product to the consumer at the end. And they're the ones that are going through and actually you know, looking at how do we make ours better? How do we develop it into something that everyone wants to use and is going to use and have a, a joyous interaction with because if you're going through and you're trying to use an, an app or a device or um, a medical device right and it, it doesn't work properly or it's difficult you're not going to continue on it you're going to go find somebody else that you can or something else that you can use that's better you know are you having an issue using your your inhaler your asthmatic you're going to go for one that actually works better you know the new EpiPens were a design that was done through this user experience researcher because the old ones were a big hassle to try and use, and now they're very streamlined, very efficient, and very quick and easy. Pumping a cap, pushing it on, and you've, you've got it. That was a development that someone is a user experience researcher help to actualize,
1: yeah. You know. Great examples. Yeah, and I think that you know, so it's qualitative and quantitative. The quantitative is more gonna come from like whatever software is done. I mean, all the way down to clinical, right? Teladoc, et cetera. And then there's gonna be the qualitative, could be focus groups, could actually be working with people to develop a better EpiPin, like um, Elliot said. Now, we're gonna talk about more of these in depth than others. I do wanna talk about junior researchers, analysts. One of the worst things that can happen to you, in my opinion as a PhD, is to get hired into a role where you're working side by side and being paid the same amount or less than somebody with their bachelor's or master's. Companies aren't just like, oh, you have a PhD, we're gonna pay you more. No, if you don't showcase your experience level and your transferable skills, you don't learn development, you will get hired side by side with somebody with their bachelor's and master's. Happens all the time, Elliot has seen it. Um, You have to understand the differences and you have to leverage your ability to create and manage experiments using your mind not your ability to do experiments. Companies, Genetech, others, they have robotics to do this. They have plenty of technicians to do this. Just real quickly, can you explain this in your words, Elliot? yeah this is
4: basically an extension okay if you're in an academic lab this is like a real world example for people can probably know you have like the rh you have those people who are coming in you know to get some lab experience this is basically those same sort of people who are in yeah. industry now those are the same sort of level they're the people who are running the majority of the experiments they're the ones collecting the mass amounts of the data that you're then taking in so these are people who are going to be staying more so at the bench and Unfortunately, these are the positions that we're seeing decreases in because there's no more. You know, they're having to organize how many people can be on site at different locations, decreasing the number of people that are in these areas. And so, these are the positions that we want you to avoid because these are the ones that they they are letting go go of people because you don't need you know 20 people to go over and run one robotic. You know, you go through and you only need that one person to run the data and collection that 20 people would be doing manual. You know going through and doing the cell cultures or running through um different you know yes whatever they're whatever sort of set they're, they're collecting you go over and you have like less you know someone who's going through who just basically going through the day-to-day you know menial task of collecting that data that is then going through and and being sort of and sent to the scientists to then go what do we do next is this any good is this you know where we want it to go and they're not doing much of the analysis they're not going through and looking at the the next step of that and that's where you need to go through when you want someone with a a phd to do because just like with those ras in you know your academic set you know there's people who are coming in and helping to run the experiment so that they can get a poster so that they're undergrad they can you know do something to leverage themselves to get towards the graduate degree so they have some experience that's the same sort of positions that you're seeing in industry you know yeah so are are, are you
1: Uh, Exactly. And so are you talking about your ability to manage resources, uh, to manage personnel, you know, project management, again, which we'll get to, but all of these will show you as someone who can get into the senior scientist, principal scientist, and beyond roles. And that's that's the difference maker uh, for the R&D society. If you want to end up working side by side with somebody with their bachelor's or master's and basically just deleting the fact that you have a PhD, keep doing it yourself. But if you want to get into these higher level roles with or without a postdoc, You just need the right information. You got to learn to speak the language of R&D, the language our panelists and those in the R&D society will teach you. Health economics and outcome researcher, any role that ends in researcher, analyst, newsflash, all of you can do as a PhD. They're just looking for people who can research and collect information and then analyze it. Um, Whether it has to do with health, economics, both uh, operations, which is a big part of this role um, that you'll be trained on in the R&D society. I want to make sure we have time to talk about This and the next role, though, technical development. So real quick in one minute, Elliot, what is technical development? It's a newer role that we're seeing more and more of. Yeah,
4: and the technical development is sort of an offshoot of sort of similar things with um, the previous position and sort of the user research as well. Like, This is somewhere where you're going to go through and you're going to be working most likely within some sort of, of company that is then... Working in, in building new products, new services that are then going to going towards a pharma or towards a biotech or going to you know another um, organization that they're then utilizing as well. So you're going through and helping develop you know the newer um, version of a, of a mass spec or the newer version of um, um, liver on a chip. You know this is the thing is you're going through and like all right we have this and this is how we're going to go over and you're you're doing some experimentation in your you know, organization to go over and and build out a new product that is then going to go through and, and help showcase for the, the organization how to collect better sets of data so that again it's not just a single person collecting manually doing this data you're now building some sort of product and some sort of technology that is going to increase the, the um, transferability of that data that is being collected. Going through and being able to actually, you know, instead of having, you know, plated livers, you know, they're now going to be spheroidal and you're developing how to do yes. these sort of things. And then because this is now more real world.
1: Mm, exactly. And then again, another another job title that's increasing uh, within the realm of R&D is information and software specialists. So these are the people right, that take the R&D and they're, they're kind of plugging it into the cloud or beyond. Can you talk about it just briefly, Elliot?
4: Yeah, this is someone we're going over because we're collecting so much more data. We're just intaking so much more through all these other things that I've been sort of you know, kind of mentioning doing those liver, the you know, spiritoidal, you know, liver, livers on a chip, going through and having all of these tracking devices on us, you know, so you're going through and, and collecting so much more massive amounts, you know, big pieces of, um, um, robotics that are, you know, collecting hundreds of cell cultures at a time, all of this data is coming in and has to then be sorted by someone who can then go through and, um, sort this, um, go through and and then put out an outcome to the other groups, the other departments that actually they can then utilize that data. So you're going through and taking all of this stuff, analyzing it, going through and and scrubbing, cleaning it out, and then passing it along to someone else and and creating the the software, which can either be an internal piece of of equipment or software that the organization organization is utilizing. Like at Genentech, we had some of our own, you know, intraweb you know software that we would do to do some of our own, our own data analysis to keep it proprietary and signed, but then also utilizing some outs- outside you know, sources to help us go through and see, how do we take this mass amount of data, turn it into basically a, a graph that we yes. can then give to other people that they can actually make a meaningful you know, information out of and go and see the trend.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and this we talked about, you know, in relation to the junior roles. These are the the senior roles, the principal roles. The, this is going to be, you know, the bread and butter that a lot of you are familiar with. That the R and D society is really tailor made for to get you into to these roles. And what what I think would help Elliot is if uh, we look at the, uh, you know, the really the vertical ladder here, and you can talk about this uh, just a little bit so that everybody understands what the different roles are. Because in the R and D society, we we have directors, Uh, uh, we have a lot of principal scientists, principal managers, engineers, senior scientists, like our goal is to get you into these roles right out of the gate. And it is possible for all of you, even without a postdoc, if you have the right information and network. So what what are the difference makers that allow, that has helped you know get people into these roles instead of those that end up down here paid far less uh, and really have to work up multiple additional levels?
4: Yeah. Um, we we talked about that bottom rung already. You know, these are the people who are, you know, like those RAs and I'll try and do like a sort of academic comparison for people so they can sort of understand where this is. You know, you're going over and you have that research. Those are the RAs, the scientists one and two. Those are, you know, your first and second year PhD students come in who, you yes. know, have the better understanding of how to do and go about the the knowledge base and what their goals are, but they just don't know how to collect the data. They don't know what to do with it next. You then go over and you have your senior scientist. This is someone who's, as you guys are, finishing up your PhD, presenting out that data, disseminating it to a larger crowd, being able to go through and actually knowing where where the end goal is, and you have it actually actualized and visualized and know where it's going to go. And that principal scientist manager, those are people who are postdocs or a PI already. So as you're going through and you finish up your PhD, you're in a postdoc. You're already just needing to to basically laterally move over to these positions because you're doing the same things here. You're managing multiple people underneath you, which you've already started doing as your PhD and as a postdoc. You're managing other PhDs already. You know, going through this process, you're just basically doing the same thing, but now in an industry setting where mm. you know the instead of focusing on the one grant, you're focusing on the industry's goals. And then the director is the person who's then sort of starting to decide what are these goals actually going to be. They're the ones who are starting to have their ear to the ground in the sense of the industry trends. Where are we going to go through? And they're going through to then talking to the executive directors and the VPs and making these decisions for the overall company's goals. They're not there again, they're managing multiple, yes. you know, scientists. So you're going over and these are the department heads in an in in academic setting. They're the persons who are there. And so you can move into these positions very easily because they transfer laterally, you know, extremely well. These are, you know, how they compare. You have this experience already. You just need to showcase that you can do it in an industry setting.
1: Yeah, well said. And so I want to make sure we have time to talk about the, the project management roles now. And this is, you know, R&D project manager, QA, QC, etc a lot of these roles are a great fit for those of you that are here it's why you came you know what are the differences though between let's say the researcher roles cuz this could be scientist engineer stem in general you know social scientists as well we have a lot of all types in the r&d society versus project manager so you got to decide which side is the best fit for you um, you know you you could be working with uh, at one phase of research Testing multiple different products, collecting data, etc., as a researcher. But in project management, you could be staying with one project or product all the way from conception to market. And there's a lot of different versions of this, but this is something you'll be trained on to figure out what's the best fit uh, for you. Uh, so, Elliot, let's let's just start with you know I'm just going to jump to right to the the project management role uh, in industry and, and tell us what they do. Your your interactions with uh, you know, as a researcher at Genentech, your interactions with R&D project manager, what's the difference?
4: Yeah, what you're doing with the project manager in my personal experience while I was at Genentech is, I, you know, I was in that senior scientist position where I'm collecting the, the data from multiple other, you know, RAs and outsourced resources. And you're going over and each of these then goes to a project manager who is following this specific product from conception to actual in product, going through clinical trials, going through... All the way to conception. They're the ones who are are collecting all the information from all the different groups for the toxicology studies, for the the clinical trial data. They're the ones who are interacting with the other people who are in chemistry or biology within the the sectors, making sure we can actually make the product that we can actually go through and actually schedule out enough to, to make it in a sense that we can actually um, as you you scale up, they're the ones going like, all right, how much time do we need to scale up? You know, the this you know compound so that we can actually start testing yes. more you know more groups. They're the ones who are going over and, and having to work with not just within the department they're in, but working with all the other leads in other departments and stuff as well to make sure that this product that was visualized initially um, and started working on all the data was collected, it was found to be good and they go through and take all that information, and, and they're they're the ones writing like FDA filings. They're the ones who are going through and, and collecting those things to go through and make sure that with people who are in like regulatory affairs, it, it works. You know, like if we go through the people who are in the clinical you know trial settings, that you know we're getting good data. They're the ones who are going through and actually having to go and see the the big picture and pay attention to everything. So they're focused on that one project. Yes. Well. The other people underneath that are focused on the aspect within that specific department your focus as a project manager on all of the different areas from all the different pro- departments and how that then actually is going to visualize into an actual product that is then being taken out to the consumers
1: yeah great points and we're just showing some of the things you'll learn as a project manager the four phases two of which we never do in academia writing statements of work project charters staying on project, scope, and quality, budget, et cetera. Um, one that's very popular and very topical right now is QA and QC. I think there was a misconception that somehow this is a, you know, a lower level job, but we've seen in the news, the media worldwide, the importance of supply chains, the data that is collected at the QC checkpoints, and then along the entire supply chain, which is QA. What do these people do uh, in your experience and why is it an important role?
4: Yeah, actually, I have a, a great example, personal experience, and why I went back and actually got my PhD, and not in pharma, because I realize I've been talking a lot about the pharma area and sector, but I was working as a consultant with different actual um, um, agricultural firms, and going from basically f- farm to fork type things, and it was basically the, the PhDs who were in charge of basically making sure the quality of you know the product, the, the strawberries and the bananas, and um, the different things were were're leaving the farm we're leaving the field and then getting to the store in the same manner. So that you're going through and when you go to the store and you buy buy that strawberry and you buy it into it, it tastes just as sweet and juicy as it does, you know, if you bought it, you bit into it on the field. And it's PhDs who are in charge of making sure that this happens. They're the ones that are going through and looking over what is, where's the the, the deficits in our, you know, in our cold chain, in our logistical ma- manner. How do we ship things out in a, in a great way so that everyone gets to to utilize this, you know, and, and get the experience that you would do if you were to hand pick it yourself. So these are the things that you go over and you have PhDs who come in and are directing people how to do this. They're the ones who are looking for the gaps in the areas. And they're the ones that are then taking these, this area and moving it forward. And we see this more so now is going through and having the logistics and all these different companies are going over and having issues. And it's the QA, QC people who are, who are managing these areas. They're the ones who are in charge of making sure all that data that's being collected in from seeing where people are, are having pain points and what's going on and making sure that we can fix these things and get it to you know to move better. The business development manager, these are the people who are going through and making sure we're we're filling in those sectors that need, you know, to be addressed for, you know, the pop The populace how they're going through and there's people who are going through and and moving things from, you know, the brick and mortar stores to things online. You know, they're the ones who are going through. How do we make sure that, you know, we're utilizing things properly. Do we need to go through and having for our people collecting, you know, the data, they're working in an area in in a facility that is, you know, conducive to them making sure they're they're able to collect the data properly in a good way. The directors and associate directors, like we talked before, these are the people who are leading where all the products and where the company is going to go. They're the ones who are, you know, looking through like, this is a trending, you know, area that we can go through and start researching to make sure that our, our flowers are, are, bribing pretty to somebody else. They're the ones like, oh, this is a sector that we need to go through and, and search for the new drug. This is a sector where you go through. They're the ones making those, you know, decisions where the company is going to go and start, you know diversifying or centralizing its resources to make sure the company stays afloat and is able to bring in more money and then as we talked about that project manager that's the person who is going to basically conceptualize a new thing and bring it from you know conception all the way to to that customer at the in base and that's not just in pharma as well that's RD project managers are someone who goes over and is you know looking over something you know new and innovative that can then go through with that company to get to that end user as well. And this is also things we're going through and developing a new, you know, a, a new um, earbud, developing a new you know, watch, developing something Perfect. new that's gonna go through to those people.
1: Yeah, well said. So Elliot, thank you very much for talking through the, these careers mm-hmm. and especially the ones on the, the research versus the project management side. It's a, a great kind of division point to help all of you you know understand what the differences are but also how they're connected there is that overlap. That's Thank you again for being on the radio show and for providing your insights. This takes us to the end of this show. You can learn about this program and all of our programs at cheekyscientist.com. If you are new to your job search, you don't know which positions right for you, you can go to phdsgethired.com. That's plural phd's gethired.com to learn more about our flagship program the cheeky scientist association that has helped thousands of phds around the world get hired it'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you as always remember your value as a phd and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, PhDs. G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D dot com. Simply type PhDsgethired.com into your website browser. Scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it. Then enter the coupon code Cheeky Radio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself But likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD only job search training platform with multiple courses. And the PhD-only job referral network of over ten thousand plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for twenty percent off of the association. Just use the coupon code Cheeky Radio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. Phdsgethired. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, Then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com, use the coupon code CheekyRadio, remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power. And your net work is your net worth.